Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday, the 26th of July. I'm Tom Tilley, and on today's briefing, there's a big change sweeping the country, and it's about having control over the way we die. My dad died uh, last year horrifically Uh. from cancer. He was in so much pain. His death was a death of no control, and mum's death was a death of absolute control. And I know for me which one I would prefer. That's Nikki Gemmell uh, telling her story of, of her parents passing away. We'll hear all of that story and we're going to also update you on the way the assisted dying laws are being introduced right around the country. First, Annika Smethurst is here reporting from Melbourne lockdown as I report from <laughs> Sydney lockdown. Uh, here are the big stories of the day. Victoria and South Australia are both on track to come out of lockdowns on Tuesday, while New South Wales is expected to extend its lockdown after two more deaths were linked to the city's COVID outbreak. We had two deaths, uh, a woman in her 70s, but also a woman in her 30s with no pre-existing conditions. If anybody thinks this is a disease just affecting older people, please think again. That was the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, speaking yesterday. The 38-year-old woman was a Brazilian student living in Sydney. She was unvaccinated and died after catching the virus almost two weeks ago. News Corp are reporting this morning that the New South Wales Crisis Cabinet have asked for modelling on financial support into the middle of September. So that's how long the New South Wales lockdown could last. Um, Annika, how are the Victorian government weighing up their choices? We had our lockdown extended till Tuesday. That is looking like the day we'll be able to get out of it. They wanted to get down to zero cases. Not quite there on the weekend, but all of those 11 cases announced on Sunday were already in isolation. So effectively zero cases in the community. There's going to be really strict restrictions in place. So if they do let us out, probably a 25 kilometre limit on where we can go. That four square metre rule in restaurants and masks, both indoor and outdoor. But look, it sure beats being in lockdown. And the Prime Minister's again pushing for young people to get the AstraZeneca vaccine after ATAGI updated its advice, encouraging Sydney residents of all ages to get the jab. There are some 1.3 million AstraZeneca vaccines that are available. Uh, this is an effective vaccine that can help save people's lives. The Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation, which advises leaders on vaccines, is now urging all adults in Greater Sydney to strongly consider getting any available vaccine, including AstraZeneca. So this shift comes after the federal government, the AMA and some state premiers called on the body to change its long-running advice recommending the jab for over 60s only. Uh, the Vice President of the Australian Medical Association, Dr Chris Moy, welcomed the decision and told the ABC getting any vaccine is important. The captain on a plane has actually said, look, uh, your plane is actually going to crash into the sea and people are actually worried about which brand of life vest they're going to actually put on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to this advice if younger people do rush out and get the AstraZeneca vaccine. I know in my friendship group, Tom, a lot of people under 40 are rushing out to get AstraZeneca, um, especially in those hotspot areas, Mm. so... That's good to say. Speaking of hotspots, uh, police in New South Wales are, are tracking down those who attended the illegal anti-lockdown protests on the weekend. The behaviour was absolutely disgusting. 
um, it will not be tolerated, not just by the police, but by the community. New South Wales Deputy Police Commissioner Gary Warboy is speaking there. Sydney was the scene of violent clashes on Saturday as more than 3,500 anti-lockdown and anti-vaccine protesters broke the city's COVID restrictions to march through the city. Police have set up strike force season to track them down. There were 63 attendees arrested and 35 charged so far, but we can expect more. And police in Victoria are calling on the public to help identify protesters from their anti-lockdown protests uh, in Melbourne on the same day, with six attendees arrested already. Australia's female swimmers have the chance to win two more gold medals in Tokyo today. Ariana Titmus will face off against American rival Katie Ledecky in the 400 metres freestyle. Yeah, that'll be one to watch. Titmus came close to beating the Americans' record after she swam the second fastest time in history at the Olympic trials in Adelaide last month. And Emma McKeon will be chasing her second medal of the Games when she contests today's 100 metres butterfly final. And the men's 4 by 100 metre freestyle final is on today with that Aussie team swimming really well in their heat. Yep, love watching the Aussies dominate in the pool. Um, so it's been great to have some Olympic action to um, distract us all in lockdown, Annika. <laughs> yeah, I watched a little bit over the weekend, kayaking, things I'd never watched before, but it's a great way to get through lockdown. All right, we'll catch you tomorrow, Annika. We're talking assisted dying in just a moment with Jan Fran. Now, there is a massive change happening in Australia, and it's happening so incrementally that you might not have noticed. Yeah, just over two years ago, no state or territory in Australia had voluntary assisted dying laws. Now, it's legal in two states, WA and Victoria, where it's been operating for two years. Two more states, Tasmania and South Australia, have passed assisted dying laws this year. And in May, a bill was introduced into Queensland's parliament. And New South Wales is about to vote on it again. So next month, independent MP Alex Greenwich is set to introduce a voluntary assisted dying bill into the state's parliament. Yeah, so his laws are similar to the other states where adults with a terminal illness that will cause death within six months can access assisted dying with the approval of two doctors. Yeah, like South Australia and the Queensland legislation, um, health practitioners can also conscientiously object or decline to participate in assisted dying for any reason, and that includes religion. So we're going to speak to Alex in a moment and discuss one of the most challenging questions at the core of this, which is how do you make the laws strict enough to get Conservative MPs to support it, but allow enough people to access it, people who believe they have legitimate reasons? Now, Nikki Gemmell has a strong point of view on that debate because her mum took her own life because of chronic pain. Nikki's a well-known author. She wrote a book about her mum's story called After. Nikki, thanks for joining us. What do you make of the wave of assisted dying legislation that's passed around the states in the last four years? Uh, look, I think it's wonderful. And honestly, it was inevitable. Given you know the statistics of how many people actually supported assisted dying and support assisted dying, including a lot of religious people, basically all the dominoes are falling ever since those days in the 90s when um, the Northern Territory government reversed the legislation that allowed assisted dying in that jurisdiction. It's been on the back burner for years, for decades, and now one by one, all the states 
are seeing that this is, I guess, an inevitability in a way as, um, you know, the years go on. Nikki, you've got a bit of a personal story here. Talk us through your mother's story. Was she terminally ill in the last six months of her life? And is there any way that she could have benefited or accessed these measures? Yeah, my mum, she basically gave herself a euthanasia death. This was in 2015, about six years ago. She wasn't terminally ill. She had chronic pain. She'd had a foot operation to try and fix pain in her foot that had continued all through her life. She was in her 70s at the time. From that foot operation, which was botched, uh, she was introduced by the doctors to the world of OxyContin. Throughout the last nine months of her life, she was heavily dosed up on painkillers. And basically, one day, after a lot of consideration, she decided to do it herself. And so she killed herself because at that stage in 2015, there was no other recourse for her. And so basically, she went doctor shopping around the suburbs nearby. She gathered enough OxyContin to be able to do it and she did it by the book, literally. I had no idea. My brothers had no idea. Her best friends around her, none of us knew her deep immersion in the world of euthanasia and I've gone over and over this over the years. Why didn't she tell me? Mm. Why did she feel she had to do it this way? when I say she did it by the book, she did it to protect us. She didn't want any of her three children involved in the legal ramifications of what had gone on. And in fact, you know, an hour or so after her body was found by some builders who were renovating her apartment, she thought it out very carefully that none of her children would find her. The police came to me and I realised through that lengthy process of them informing me that my mother had died They were also probing as to whether I had assisted her. This kick-started a lengthy police process, a probe on me, as into, well, I must have assisted my mother. Because, of course, there was no euthanasia laws at the time. It ended up with me having to go down to my local police station several weeks later, giving a police statement. Wow. But basically, all the way through it, I could see mum's thinking. She desperately wanted a euthanasia death. She could see no way out of the chronic pain. The only way she could do it and protect her family was to go it alone. I have to say, looking back, she was absolutely in control. It's what she wanted. So do you think the laws that are being introduced and, you know, including the ones in your state, New South Wales, are are too restrictive by only being allowed to be used by people who are are terminally ill in the last six months of their lives or 12 months for neurodegenerative conditions? Should it apply to people who are in chronic pain? I think they should be widened. In terms of mum, she never would have been able to use these laws, which would have been a source of immense frustration to her. So I think if, you know, she was here now and she wanted to do it all over again, she would probably do exactly what she did before. There's always the argument from the anti-euthanasia people that it's the thin edge of the wedge. You know, the laws are going to go further and all the rest of it. I think they're a great start. My dad died uh, last year horrifically Uh. from cancer. 
comparing those two deaths, there was no comparison because Dad's was horrible and traumatic and in deep pain and bewildering. And for him, he was so angry about it that it was all suddenly happening so fast and he was in so much pain. His death was a death of no control and mum's death was a death of absolute control. And I know for me which one I would prefer. That was Nikki Gemmell there telling us about a very personal story involving her mother and her father. She's got a very strong opinion on voluntary assisted dying laws. Let's find out a little bit more about this New South Wales bill. Alex Greenwich is the MP behind it. Alex, are you sure this bill will be passed? Because last time in New South Wales, four years ago, it lost by one vote and a lot of people thought it was going to get there. But when it came down to it, the parliament was more conservative than people expected. And that was when a Nationals MP introduced it, not a progressive in a city MP like yourself. So what's to say that won't happen again? Well, a lot has changed since 2017, including the makeup of the parliament. Um, uh, Since then, we have also had every other state progress with reform. So the new New South Wales legislation is able to learn from all of those uh, pieces of of legislation. It's able to ensure we've got strong safeguards in place. And although I am an inner city MP, I've worked with colleagues across the state, and I know that the reform has strong support amongst the National Party, the Labor Party, the crossbench, and a number of Liberals also supporting it. So, Alex, is it just about the context changing of all the other states moving forward or has the bill changed dramatically since 2017? And have you learned any lessons from the other states and made any big improvements? Yeah, absolutely. The answer to both of those questions is yes. So one of the big changes in in the legislation is we have a a very strong definition of decision-making capacity. We also have provisions in the legislation around coercion to voluntary assisted dying. So I know from talking to colleagues that this was a concern, that people could feel sort of that they could be a burden. There is no evidence of that, however, to address that concern, that the legislation has a very broad definition of pressure or duress. In addition to that, we've learned from the debates, particularly in South Australia, to make sure we are putting in strong protections Uh, for entities. For example, a religiously run hospital does not have to participate in the scheme. A religiously run aged care facility also can oppose and and cannot participate in the scheme, but does have to allow access to, to doctors to support residents on site. In a context of all of the other states, either having passed legislation or having voluntary assisted dying become legal, can you give us a bit of a picture as to where the New South Wales law sits in that context? Is it more conservative than others, a little bit more liberal than others? Like, where would you rank it? Our legislation is going to be restrictive. It is going to be for people who are just in the last six months of their life with a terminal illness whose pain cannot be tolerably relieved or 12 months for a neurodegenerative disorder. There is going to be a, a very detailed process of two doctors needing to approve it, potentially a psychologist or psychologist also needing to assess the decision-making capacity, and an oversight board throughout the process who will finally be able to approve the release of the substance, the ability for the person to obviously withdraw from the process at any time, conscientious objection provisions for obviously all of the health practitioners involved in the process, as well as for entities. So we have taken the safeguards from all of the bills 
and incorporated them in this legislation. Alex, we spoke to a woman named Nikki Gemmell, whose mother took her own life. Nikki's written a book about it. She thinks that your bill is too restrictive. It wouldn't have helped her mother's situation, for example. What would you say to Nikki? This reform is for people who are terminally ill. This reform is for people who are dying um, and who know that their death will be ugly, cruel and painful. It seeks to give them some peace, compassion and control for people who know that is what is going to happen to them. So depending on the diagnosis that Nikki's mother had, eventually she may have been able to access it or, or not without being her doctor or, or without mm. speaking to her doctor. I'm, I'm sure. unable to, to really comment on that. But what I will say is an important part of this legislation is it does open the door for a patient to be able to talk to their doctor about their end-of-life choices. That was Alex Greenwich there, whose New South Wales bill will be introduced next month. And I wonder if New South Wales is feeling the pressure, given most of the other states have really moved forward on this issue. It might be seen as a bit of a laggard if it doesn't. Well, yeah, and as well as pressure, there's also just data on how it's been working in Victoria. It hasn't been, you know, thousands and thousands of people. It's been several hundred, so there's that as well. I think that thin edge of the wedge argument is interesting, that Conservatives would be worried that the initial bills are quite restrictive, but then over the years they really open up, and that is what a lot of people actually want. So those fears are legitimate, which makes it such a complex issue, but really interesting to see such a big change happening incrementally here in Australia. Tomorrow on The Briefing, a former female Liberal Party MP speaks out. Listener.